Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Hey, Edwin, thank you so much for making time. And when I say time, if you're in a different time zone being over in Europe, so I appreciate you doing this from your home in front of your beautiful appliances that people won't see. But uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the company that you joined in the last year, uh, being modular, what drove you there, and why it was that right next move for you as a CMO. Yeah, no. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's 9 p.m. here in the UK, so I'm, I can be as coherent as I possibly can be with, uh, with my answers on the, uh, the show this evening. To the point on modular, I, uh, so I joined in January 2019, been there coming up a year now. Insure Modular is a, is a payments as a service API for businesses, and it's an uh, alternative to traditional wholesale, wholesale corporate transaction banking. We're looking at it from the B2B payments angle and very much a payments infrastructure. Applied. So in some ways, the, uh, the AWS equivalent of fintech infrastructure the reason why I joined Modular is uh, for those in the sector, actually, I've never worked in financial services, but there's a huge, huge rise in excitement within the fintech sector over here in London. There were regulations over the past few years around PSD2 and open banking, which have really dramatically opened the door for fintech challenges to traditional banks, plus also large institutions. And there's there's somewhat of a, a buzz over here about this particular sector. And that was my reason for joining. I never imagined working actually in financial services. A couple of years ago, actually, if someone had said, are you going to work in the financial services sector? Probably a year and a half ago, I would have, I would have probably laughed at them and said, absolutely no way. Sector I've really thought of going into, but here I am a year and a half later, you never know what happens, but uh, lots to learn. Very, very intricate, interesting industry. Uh, lots of challenges. But it's been an interesting curve in the last 12 months to get up to speed in what's happening. So an, an interesting part as well for you in the last, we'll call it two, three years, is you, you got to Modular from what you shared with me through the investment firm that is behind a couple of companies. You were the CMO at the first one. How much of that was knowing this firm and believing in them versus the companies? I mean, how did you evaluate? Because taking on a CMO role at a high-growth company, you got to buy in not just sometimes to the, the company and their goal, but, but the, the backers of that org. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely a great point. I think when I originally left Aperio, I, I joined one of the firms, venture firms, which was EdTech. That was predominantly because I, I was working in the Workday ecosystem, uh, one of the partners that we had, and Workday Learning came out a couple of years before, and the EdTech product called Hive Learning was a similar sort of disruptive LMS social learning type product. And, and I thought uh, it could be a, a super interesting space. And I didn't know much about Blenheim Chalcott, the venture builder at the time, and very fortuitous to, to land in a group of companies, actually. They brand themselves as a venture builder. So they're one of the UK's largest venture builders. They have a presence in the US as well. And what they do a little bit differently, they're they do a really good job of incubating ventures to scale and providing the infrastructural support and, and networks 
to make ventures successful and not just startups, but a lot of their portfolio are ones that have started obviously at that stage and then grown into significant businesses over the years and with lots of exits. And, and again, I think kind of one of those things I didn't plan to, to join them and wasn't too aware of them, but it was really lucky that I did. And the value that, that it brings is that there's lots of different ventures in their portfolio at different stages of scale. And so there's a lot of opportunity for individuals to look at positions and opportunities in those different ventures. And that's really how the modular scenario came around. And there, there's always a, a network element that you meet other CEOs, other CMOs in the group, and you can get a familiarity for what the exec team's like and the leadership team a little bit more in depth than say you would from just a coffee meeting and a couple of uh, couple of interviews which is awesome for making the right choice hopefully for for when you want to join somewhere that's great it, it's it's interesting I, I i mean i don't know if this is a london uk type of mindset of the mentality of moving be- between portfolio companies but i i feel like in a North American way, there's almost this fear of losing people and encouraging them to, you know, to continue down their career. So it's, it's commendable that that's the mindset uh, by that investment firm. Maybe others are going to look, look them up. That was, did I pronounce it right? Blenheim Chalcot? Uh, sorry, yeah. Blenheim Chalcot. Blenheim Chalcot. All yeah. right, great. Sounds um, even better. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. I think, uh, I think there's an appreciation that people have a specific or, some form of skill set and some ventures are at different stages of their scaling. And so a different personality and skill set can suit a different venture at different times and that's okay. And it's a positive thing. And I think that's what, what's, what's great as it gives you that sort of potential and opportunity to, to look at different ventures within the firm. So in, in general, just getting this opportunity, though, having them believe in you, I mean, I think a lot of us underestimate what that means at, you know, ourselves to be given that opportunity to be a CMO, the responsibility, the expectations of a team around us. And you've got an interesting path that took you there. You know, I'll, I'll kind of summarize them in, in two levels. One is you've started some companies yourself. So you've got that mm-hmm. entrepreneurial mindset that is obviously needed to be part of an exec team. And then you've also been part of a company that saw amazing scale being a Purio, uh, working for one of our previous guests on this podcast, being Latin Continent. And mm-hmm. maybe you can talk to us about, I- I'm not going to make you pick one or, or the other, but maybe pick one of them to start with in terms of how we prepared you for this CMO stage. Good question. If if we look at the first one to start, I think that running your own business. I th- I think uh, when you think of the career path, it, it, it in some ways I'm not really sure how I've I've ended where I am right now in terms of linear path and thinking this is where I'd I'd, I'd come to. I think it's the same advice actually. My principles of what I encourage in my team and 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 tell everyone that works for me is is around you know, do a really good job in terms of, you know, create a great perception to your boss, deliver quality work, over deliver to your job role, be a great part of the team, you know, add value to the team, and then be a great person to work with. And if you combine those things together and, and, and package them, then I think people support you in your career and it kind of opens up opportunities without necessarily a, a clear path. So I think if I look back at the the starting my own business. I worked in staffing for four years, you know, cold, cold selling. 
and uh, you know did did fairly well in that. And and the grounding of running your own business was I I think it started the, the marketing side especially. I I had a guy I ran the business with two co-founders and. I was took on more of the role of the sort of broader skill set of, of of the business, so the marketing, the operational stuff, finances, selling, and and he was more focused on purely selling. And so, what that gave me was, um, I guess, more of an appreciation for how to build a business and how you need to combine all those elements to be successful with regards to marketing and sales. And and actually, you know, none of this sales and marketing alignment because it's it's starting from scratch. You you are both sales marketing and 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 actually that principle has served me very well into the cmo role because i feel like i've got a very strong sales appreciation which it is not the be all and end all for a cmo because there's a lot of talk about that and how important it is you, you don't have to be from a sales background but for me personally it's really helped me be a more effective marketing leader because i have a much more intricate knowledge of the sales process and you know the entrepreneurial side and closing business and what the real things that people care about uh, alongside all the other good stuff and so that was I think that was what was really influential in that part of my career and then going to Aperio I think uh, as you had Latini as a guest before she was my my boss at Aperio and and learned a hell of a lot from her and I'm sure she was quite an entertaining guest on the show She's got some energy. She's got some energy. <laughs> She's got some energy. <laughs> well, a little bit more than my uh, monotone British accent, that's for sure. <laughs> and um, the Aperio journey was was awesome. I mean, uh, I think what I learned there was uh, coming out of running my own business was an appreciation for really doing things at a much bigger scale. The the quality of the people that you, you can work with is is huge. It was a really collaborative environment and group of people it was a really high quality group of people that if you look around you know a lot of the people who worked at a period have gone on to do to do great things and and I I think that's probably the main foundations that, that although the stuff before was good I think the Aperio journey of you know how we rolled out to Europe grew into different territories had to you know, build a pipeline that was pretty scary to drive demand and, and help the regions grow. And, and the experience of doing all that from scratch with a relatively lean team, being all in it together, great leadership from the US was phenomenal. And yeah. it grounded me in a, in a ton of principles that I've, I use today in, in, in my role as a CMO modular, uh, especially then about leadership and culture, uh, which was a big thing at Aperio. So not just marketing and go to market and partnerships, but, but also, um, you know, also leadership and culture, which was, uh, a really, really sort of fantastic part of that uh, part of that journey. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the Aperio story is is fantastic, and you know, just seeing one of the highlights in in your resume being you know growing pipeline in that region. You know, being what was the region exactly again? I you, well, originally, so I joined originally, and it was just the UK market, and then uh, expanded the last there, right? the last two years. There was more of an emphasis on European growth, and so okay. we. To, so Benelux, France, Nordics, all the DAC, you know, those regions in Europe. But, uh, but to grow pipeline from, uh, you know, what I saw, 30,000 to 133 million. I mean, that's, that is running your own business, which mm-hmm. it's, it's great to get that exposure. And, you know, for those who listen to the podcast with Ladney, you'll know that they, they ended up selling that business in 2016 to WePro. So definitely a, a lot of exposure. I, I want to, one last question on this part of this, of, of this segment. And 
you know, you hit on this in, in an earlier answer where you said a big part of getting to this CMO opportunity is not just doing your job, but going beyond your job and delivering at that next level, which, which is so obvious, right? But at the same time, you know, I think a lot of people just say, well, what am I supposed to do? I'll go do it. Can you give us an example of a time, you know, maybe it was something even with Ladney where you were able to, to take on a project and just take it to that next level. And, and that really, you know, helped shape how you can relate to your team now as a CMO. Yeah, sure. I can give you two examples, actually one practical application of how I personally performance manage my team and, and what that means. And then also the Aperio example, if we cover the, the, the first one um, to start with, uh, I think, um, so I've managed lots, one area of my team at the moment, I've got a, a fairly large SDR function. I've managed sales development reps in the past. A, a classic sort of example of do the job above you to get promoted is is so prevalent with SDRs because what you often find with sales development reps is they're itching and pushing to get promoted and they're coming to you and saying, I should be promoted, I should be an AE. They're always chomping at the bit to, to, to have that conversation with you. And I, I always push back on that and say, if you're in a one-to-one or scenario with that, okay, you know, great stuff. You're ready. I'll give you one minute and I'll come back in the room and you need to present me the company pitch on a whiteboard <laughs> and then see their reaction. And that's not, it's not to be cruel. It's to, it's to in some ways hammer down the point around not being ready and that it, people think they're ready. But then when it comes to it, and, and then they, they're putting themselves in the shoes of, okay, what happens if we did say become an A on Monday, AE on Monday, they would need to be able to do that. And so it really shocks people into the thinking, oh, I'm not ready. And I need to go back, practice, learn, develop. And I need to get to that point because that's when I'm ready to become an account executive. And I find that works extremely well with managing that in the sales development context. With regards to Perio, uh, I think what was great actually about uh, the actually Latinese leadership or the leadership there, there was a there was a somewhat autonomy that that I had in Europe, or that there was a trust in execution, and so uh, we weren't so dominated and told what to do, and that gave me the ability to right. We have this challenge to solve. So one would one was we had to launch a a tour across Europe uh, in new regions. How do we go do that? So it's kind of that Elon Musk, whatever first principles thinking, right? How do we solve this in a different way? And so, you know, my approach to that was to go and figure it out with limited support and go and prove that we can go and put on a roadshow in Paris in in Stockholm, in all those different areas uh, and over deliver and deliver in comparatively to again in the US uh, in a re- really strong position good light and you know with much um wouldn't say without much support but without much sort of guidance to be left to your own devices to do it and that 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 shows then it proves that you're you're really able to step up and over deliver rather than the alternative in that scenario would have been relying on the US to uh, figure it out for me or to tell me what to do, or to follow their same processes and structure that they're following. We created new processes specifically for us. We used different MarTech tools that we felt were more effective to be somewhat a bit scrappy, but to get better conversions and results. And, and we went ahead and did that. And then in a way, the 
results then happened and then the unraveling of what we actually did came afterwards and then the unraveling was interesting because we followed a slightly different path which then was fascinating that's great i love that as you called it the autonomy but the opportunity to to take that autonomy and make something of it and and i think that's you know that's that really is how you get to that cmo level right it's it's taking that and and going beyond that job description so you know, we're going to put a quick pause on this podcast. You can listen to one of our sponsors here on The Marketer's Journey, and then we'll be back with Edwin to continue to unpack his learnings and how he approaches the buyer's journey. Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip, named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester. Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantec are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies and we created one just for you head to uberflip.com journey to see how uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand all right edwin so i wasn't going to go there but you went there you opened up the can of worms you talked about sdrs and one of the things i, I learned about you off air in, the, in those moments is sdrs report into marketing at modular first off you know how did you land on that uh, was that was that something that was gifted to you when you got there or is that something you insisted on in coming in definitely insisted on the question that people often ask is, should, mar- should marketing look after SDRs? Should the CRO look after SDRs? I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but my, my personal approach is whenever I'm CMO or if, if I'm in role in terms of lead gen, demand gen, I want SDRs in my org. And I would always push for that. And I think because I've grown up in uh, building SDR teams, previously throughout my career, I sort of know that playbook and I, I know how to make it work. And, and, and so I, I would, I would be an excellent debate with the CRO to (laughs) to make sure that it's in in my org. I'm, I think I'm, I could be fairly confident. I could out debate most to make sure that they're, they're in my org from that regard. But that's not to say that that's not to say that it's necessarily the right thing to do. I think I always come back to the point and whenever it comes up and it does come up all the time, I think once a week, someone asks it, in this group that I'm part of in London where they sit is it's down to the individual personality of the CMO and the CRO. And that's the important thing. It's not necessarily bad to be under the CRO as long as the CRO is not just focused on AEs and, you know, sort of mid to late parts of the funnel and their lens is on that. And they, they really see SDRs as a, another component, just, not too interested, but driving lead gen, you know, they don't have the right mentality to manage the SDR process. They don't understand the connection to lead generation from a marketing point of view and how it flows through and then how that flows to AEs. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just find when it doesn't work with CROs is when the CRO rightly or wrongly, it, it may be just because bandwidth, they don't have their lens of focus on the SDR function very effectively. And that's where it doesn't work. Similarly on the marketing side, it works if the CMO is demand gen driven, understands sales process, can train and coach an SDR team, and that's when it can work. If the CMO is not necessarily from that background, it's probably not good having an SDR function sitting under them. 
All right, Edwin, so I, I fully agree with you there, and I'm not even going to try and argue with you as to whether these SDRs should report into the CMO or the CRO, because you you very eloquently were diplomatic there or politically correct to say it depends, right? It depends on you know having the right skills and matching to the right skills inside your organization. So let's, let's go to a, a maybe more executional question here, which is regardless of who these SDRs report to, how does marketing best support them. And, and I want us to move away from this mindset, well, here's your MQLs, you know, go yeah. figure out which ones we did a good job on. But are, are you doing so in a way where it's more about a feedback loop or do you have actual people on your team who are responsible for that SDR relationship on, you know, from the marketing work? Yeah. Yeah. We, well, so um, we have someone, um, so our head of demand gen looks after, looks after the SDRs. And, and I think the, the blend of the SDR is important. So how, um, how you've structured it. So we have in an inbound SDR, then we have, uh, outbound. And then for us, we have channel selling through, through, uh, partner products. And the, again, yeah, like you point in MQLs, that's completely right. We don't, we don't really target on MQLs for them at all. And, uh, I know also it's, it's a funny topic, the MQL one, because there's a lot of, talk at the moment in the marketing circles around it's quite popular to say oh we don't believe in mqls and that all that stuff is like you know a, a statement a lot of saying and, and there is some truth to it but there is some validity in in tracking them naturally i mean that's that's part absolutely of but i think when it comes to sdrs what you do have to do is make sure that you coach them really effectively and embed them in the the sales and marketing process really effectively and 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 i guess how you do that is you have to make sure that you have to make sure communication is, is clear about their roles and how they fit in the organ. I, I don't personally have them as marketing, you know, I don't, I don't see them as the marketing team. I mean, sort of cliched, we call our team marketing, which, uh, which caters. For <laughs> them. And we kind of have two sets of the team, the marketing team and inside sales and the inside sales we see as salespeople and, and the marketing team as marketing people, the danger you've got with SD, actually the one danger you have with SDRs in marketing, and you often have this conversation, if you train them too much to be too marketing-y, then they don't develop sales capabilities. And what happens is they rely on emails and so forth, more so than being on the phone and selling. And then you can right. have the conversation, do you want to be a salesperson or do you want to be a campaign manager or a demand gen manager? Because that, the, the two routes are you want to develop sales capabilities. You become a salesperson. If all you want to do is send emails and LinkedIn messages, you're going to become a marketing person. Right. So it's machine to, versus human touch, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. And you've got to build the, the mindset in the, in the sales development reps that they're salespeople. They're not really in the marketing function. At the same time, you've got to build a, a united team whereby the, the process is completely clear about how they get assigned leads from inbound and then how you do ABM to target accounts, you know, how they sell to target accounts. I don't know if that answers the, the question, but that just gives a concept of how we're set up at Modular. And no, I, I fully agree with that. And, and you know, you, you hit a good point in passing on the, on the MQL aspect. I mean, we can't, it, it's hard to break away from tracking MQLs. I think the mindset that, that, we're at least trying to shift here to reflect ourselves with how we go to market is to not establish that as an endpoint for marketing, 
right? That's, yeah. you know, that is a, you know, it's still a reality of stage, especially on our inbound funnel. But mm-hmm. the reality is that that's, that's not where our responsibility ends. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, probably by having this, this SDR team embedded inside of the rest of your, as you refer to it, marketing team, that ensures that that responsibility of the rest of the marketers goes into these inside sales individuals to understand like, you know, it's not about just lining them up. We as a team have to be successful. Exactly. And I'll give you two perspectives actually then on the challenges of MQLs. And one is not uncommon, but you can get MQLs so wrong with your lead scoring. That's one thing. If your lead scoring is completely out of sync with reality of, of what is qualified, then that creates complete completely wrong reporting too rigid also it can be yeah. too rigid or too loose i find yeah you've got to get the right balance um and then you've got to tell the story right again so if i look at when i joined modular the lead scoring was way way too soft as in click a couple of links it's an mql salesperson or sdr follows up with a couple of link clicks it's no wonder that they're not engaging or converting because it's not an mql mm-hmm. and so you can report then to your board, oh, we've made 7 million MQLs, but we've created one opportunity. It doesn't really do much good at the end of the day. So you've got to, you've got to ensure that that balance is right. And then to your point on having the process correct with your SDRs and when does the line end, when you embed digital in your outbound and inbound, you know, when you connect all the processes together, the other thing that's really critical with digital is what happens a lot is you'll, you'll they'll go for some gated content or you'll get them into your funnel somehow, you'll top of funnel content them, you'll middle of funnel content them, whatever you're doing. There's always a cutoff point where the contact just ends and then what happens to them? How have you designed the workflow where SDRs pick it up or re-nurture or re-engage? And I see that all too often and that, and then you'll end the digital campaign and then you'll then reflect eight weeks later and say, oh, hey, hang on, we ran four digital campaigns seven weeks ago and we were getting all these alerts and we had loads of mqls coming through whatever happened to them and then normally say oh i don't know let's go and figure it out and that's a big mistake with embedding digital then with sdrs you you have to really really get crisp on the workflow and the processes on on where those leads go and like you said it's not an end point for marketing creating the mql it's the end point is seeing it as a you know, an opportunity or a sales qualified lead in nurture. And then there's still no end point. You need to be always analyzing what the, what the impact is across the whole, whole broad funnel. I love that. And, and Edwin, I'll, I think we'll, we'll kind of end this segment on that point because, you know, I, I went earlier to your personal website, which is, you know, edwinnovel.com or Ed, is it yeah edwin abel yeah, right. yeah. yeah. i was there and and the the headline there is revenue leader leader coach mentor and cmo and i like that that cmo piece was was actually last in there even though that is your your title today and i i think everything that you just kind of closed on there you know sets that understanding that it's, it's revenue leader first that we have to be mm-hmm. in, a, in a cmo role so I, I think a lot of great takeaways from this if we if we've got some time listening in and you're enjoying edwin's story We're going to keep them around here after a short break, and we will be back to hear a little bit about how he breaks personally amid all this busy career and buyer journey work. Right back here on The Marketer's Journey. 
So Edwin, thank you so much already. You've, you've shared your journey of how you got into this amazing level of being a CMO at a high growth organization. You shared, you know, really deep thinking about, you know, the wild turns of, of a buyer journey. Now let's find out how you take breaks because, you know, amid, as you, as you called it earlier, the need to outperform, it's really hard to take time. How do you, how do you prioritize that? It is very hard, especially this year has been, been very crazy. The business has headcount wise tripled. The recruitment's been, been fairly, uh, fairly insane and, and revenue growth and just events. It's, it's been very challenging to actually uh, take some time off um, or, or have a break. The, the best actually break hack I've had this year is not actually a break, but it was something I read in a book uh, a few years ago. I can't remember which one. And it's, it's more actually a, a simple habit where the being online thing is is huge. The, being on email all evening, it, it can never end. And it's, 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 I think that's the tough thing from a well-being perspective. And so I set up charging points in a cupboard in, in my house and, and then have a rule that at half seven in the evening, put my phone, laptop and iPad in the cupboard. And, and <laughs> well, I feel bad now that we are recording this podcast at 9 PM, your time. I'm probably completely screwing that, that piece up. But I, I hope that the, the start time for that is earlier than 10 o'clock when we're finished. <laughs> that's okay. The phone's in the cupboard. It's just uh, got the laptop out for it. So that's not too bad. But I, I honestly have found a profound impact from, from that because it just really stops you checking your phone. Uh, and that's a huge, uh, I know it's a pretty basic thing to say, but just doing that separation has, has made a big impact on my uh, sort of health and mental state this year with, with all the stuff going on because it's just that enjoyable time where I, when I know I'm going to do it and I can have some downtime and then obviously know that it's going to get busy again in the morning. That's great. And, and someone else has, I believe, said this on this podcast that doing that also ensures that your team isn't getting messages from you during those hours and, and allows them to find that same balance, which is something I have to remind myself to be more cognizant of. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic point, actually, because I did feedback with my team, uh, my, my team uh, in the last company, and it, it really, really actually is important because it sets the tone and it's you know, there is working hard, which is important, but if you as a leader are pinging all your staff at 9.45, 9.15, 9.30, then you get up in the morning and ping them at 6.45, 7.15, you're creating an unparalleled amount of overwhelm for them. And a lot of the stuff, if you're just a bit more cognizant about being thoughtful, can just wait and either be done in a conversation or, uh, or packaged together with several points at once in the morning, say, for example. And I think, fantastic point that, that is, that's something I learned from with getting, you know, honest, transparent feedback from my team of what they didn't like and what was, you know, kind of giving them anxiety and overwhelm. And the shift of not doing that was was then this transformational um, sort of experience for the people that I managed. And so it's super interesting. That's great advice. I, I, I think we'll end on that point, Edwin. This is uh, 
really, really practical advice that a lot of us can can figure out how to how to implement and at least be more cognizant of until Slack makes it easier for us to to send a message later. I know you can, but it's it's just not that easy or as easy as as we're talking about the way it needs to be. This has been really a, a great episode, and and I thank you, Edwin, for making the time. Everyone should check out that edwin.avel.com website if you want to learn a little bit more and and subscribe and get some of some of your updates is probably the best place to go follow you on linkedin i'm sure too and if you've enjoyed this podcast listen to some of the other great episodes that we've had uh, we mentioned one of them today that was posted earlier was latney who edwin got to learn from earlier in his career so lots that we can learn from each other and other cmos that's the whole point of the marketer's journey thank you so much edwin for making time and thank you for everyone for tuning in great thanks Welcome to the Marketer's Journey, marketing leaders, business leaders. I've got a great podcast for you this week. I got to be joined by Edwin Abel. And Edwin is the CMO of a company called Modular. He's based over in the UK, in London. We got to record this one in the evening, given the time change for him. And uh, we, we have packed a lot of interesting things. First of all, his career is one that I really admire because it's one of those situations where you end up with this cohort of really bright marketers who got to work in a spaceship of a company being a Perio. And weeks back, you may have remembered us speaking to Latney content. She unpacked you know, the tremendous growth they saw at Perio and the amazing marketers they had. Edwin is one of those. And what's, what's fantastic is when you see those marketers who've learned how to do it well and then go and lead in other organizations. And you know, they take with them these different theses that become their new playbook. And for him, a big part of that that we unpack in the second half of this podcast is, as he calls it, the value of having SDRs report into marketing. So lots to unpack here over the next 30 minutes or so together. Without further ado, here goes The Marketer's Journey with Edwin Abel. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.